Hello and welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s. I'm Joe. And I'm Carrie. Remember, we're not professional podcasters or music critics. We are just young but getting old before our time and talking about 80s music. So give us a break. Yeah. Carrie, welcome. Welcome to you, Joe. How's things? Life is good. You know, no complaints. Ah, Glad to hear it. Same here. Same here. Good. Well, I hope everyone else is doing well. And hello to any new listeners, and hello to our loyal listeners. We found some in Virginia Beach, Virginia, Yorba, Linda, California, and Buenos Aires, Argentina. Hello to all those folks. Hello to everyone else. Please keep up with us at our Facebook, facebook.com slash HRT80S, and our Twitter, which is at HRT80S. Joe, we've got a lot of concert news in the tidbits this week. We do, and I'll let you go first because this is my favorite time of the year. This is when Carrie has to explain exactly what (laughs) Summerfest is, and Carrie, this year you get 30 words or less. Go. Well, it's the world's largest music festival. But how? I don't know the number of stages. I should do some research. There are at least 10 stages. No, this is more fun. Yeah. used to be two weeks straight. Now they do over three straight weekends. It's all day from noon until 10 p.m. at night. There's bands on each one of these 10 stages. So how many acts is that? Nine million. Yeah. I mean, you know, think about a two-day festival like, I don't know, Lollapalooza or Pitchfork, you know, that maybe has two or three stages and bands. And this is like that over, you know, 14 or so total days. So that is what Summerfest is. The lineup was announced this week. I don't know if this is every single or they're still filling in. I mean, that's insane. The list of artists that they have. And when you sent me the link, I was taking notes. I was making a list of the 80s bands that were there of interest. And then I had to stop because I was like, this is too many. There's like a zillion. Let me just say the ones that I think I'm almost for sure going to try to see. I'm definitely going to try to see The Fix, who are playing at 5.30 on a Thursday, (laughs) which is a little bit strange, but also good for old people like me who want to see a show and then go home at a reasonable hour. Then the next day, Friday, July 1st, this is going to be a really good night. And this is what's so great about Summerfest is that when you can kind of stack artists one after the other that you want to see, it just turns into this perfect evening. So mid-year of Ultravox and solo fame plays at 5.30. Then I've got Modern English playing at 7.30 and Howard Jones at 9.30. That's great. Yeah, that's a great Friday evening. I'm going to try to see the Commodores. They play at 9.30 on a Saturday, so a little bit later than an old person like me would like. Oh, that's late for the Commodores, right? I'm thinking about them. Yeah. (laughs) And then the Tubes I would love to see, but they play at 3.30 on a Thursday. That's strange. The next Friday night, Flock of Seagulls and ABC playing in the same evening. So awesome. That's I'm a so good jealous. one to try to catch. Yep. And then Rick Springfield on the last Saturday at a 9.30 show. So those are the ones I think I'm going to try to make. It's a little bit of a haul for me. I don't live in the Milwaukee area anymore. It's about probably a 45-minute drive. People that live in large metropolitan areas are like, that's nothing. That's nothing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> and Rick Springfield by himself. I know he just announced that tour where he's headed out with Minute Work and John Waite. Mm-hmm. Not coming anywhere near me or you, I believe. No, that was a bummer. That was another thing that was announced this week, but it's only in August and it's like very weird places, either on the West Coast or the East Coast and not a whole lot that's yeah. near us. Jealous of any listeners that get to see that. For sure. And then the other thing, Psychedelic Furs are on tour again. They are coming to both Madison and Milwaukee, so I have my choice of venues. I'm just still deciding where I'm going to go see them, but I'm definitely going to catch Psychedelic Furs in July. So they can redeem themselves with a better sound system. Exactly, exactly. Call back. So much tour news. This one's been announced, but I think you and I just decided we'll go see it. The mixtape tour with Rick Astley, New Kids on the Block, and Vogue, and salt and Peppa. Yes. I have to tell the listeners, you know, we talked in tidbits probably three or four weeks ago at this point about the um, new song that came out to promote this tour specifically called Bring Back the Time that has all of those groups on it. And I've been obsessed with it ever since. (laughs) I really love this song. And that's what finally kind of pushed me over the edge in terms of like wanting to see it is like I've been listening to this song so much. And the song itself is about nostalgia and talks about like we're still the same kids we were in 89. And so I've just been having this feeling lately like I need to embrace these opportunities to see the bands I love and try to recapture my youth if only for an evening. So I am going to travel to St. Louis and we are going to go to the show together with a group of friends and it's going to be an awesome time. And we'll get to do a special report. Exactly. That's coming up in May. So look forward to that. Yep. Any other tidbits, Joe? That was quite a bit. That was too many tidbits. (laughs) All right. Well, then let's get into the main event. And this week... We are going to talk about some more R&B superstars. So we started this little project back in February where I took my Joel Whitburn R&B chart book and just started at A and paged through to find some acts with lots of R&B hits that maybe we weren't familiar with and then bringing them to you, the listeners, so we could all learn more. Last time we left off in F... But we have to jump ahead momentarily for reasons we will explain in a moment. Oh, that's my fault. (laughs) (laughs) But we're starting with Slave. This band was formed in Ohio in the mid-70s. And the backbone of the band was a horn section led by Steve Washington. He was one of the first people to use an electric trumpet. That's exactly what it sounds like. And they came out of the gate fast. Their debut single, Slide, topped the R&B chart and reached number 32 on the Hot 100 in 1977. The group would have 19 more R&B hits, including 15 in the 80s. Slave's highest charter on the Hot 100 was Watching You. peaked at 78 on the pop chart in 1980 and went to number six on the R&B. This song was later interpolated by Snoop Dogg on Gin and Juice. Lay 
did you know this watching you song, Joe? You know, I have to ask you because that's what I wrote down. <laughs> Is this in the attic? I think it must be. I've heard it recently, yeah. very mm-hmm. recently. But you and I have, well, <laughs> we've also been listening to some R&B stations on Sirius. So maybe that's, that's true. Yeah. maybe that's where we heard it. You know, this is one of those things where I heard it, I thought that sounds very familiar and it sounds like the hook engine and juice. And then Mm -hmm. I thought, well, it could just be a coincidence. You and I have talked about songs that were just coincidences that sounded similar and they weren't connected at all, right? No one paid anyone or gave anyone credits. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It doesn't sound (laughs) like they just completely lifted it. It sounds a little different to me. Yeah, it is strange because one of the times when I am more familiar with a song because it's been sampled in later songs, when I go back and hear the original, I'm just kind of like, ah, okay, because it just doesn't sound fresh. You know, I've always said on this program, like, it doesn't make sense because obviously it came first, but it doesn't sound fresh to me. Mm-hmm. But with this one, I was like, oh, I really love this in the original. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, whatever Snoop is doing on Gin and Juice, it's fine. But I was like super happy to find this original. It's great. Yeah. I love that you put on the playlist Gin and Juice. I think you found like the kids' pop version <laughs> or something, know. though. Well, it was weird. I couldn't find I was kind of in a hurry because I was like, oh, we're all familiar with Gin and Juice. I couldn't find like the original version off of Snoop Dogg's album. It was off of some weird collection. And yeah, it had all of those bleeps that aren't bleeps that go. <laughs> I was annoyed by it after the second time I listened to it, too. I was like, enough of this. <laughs> But after the album that contained Watching You was released, there was actually a schism in the group. Steve Washington took vocalists Starliana Young and Kurt Jones, who had just joined the group, and they all formed the band Aura. Slave continued on with drummer Steve Arrington leading the group. So now we're up to the reason that we needed to discuss Slave today, and it's because of a 1981 song named Wait For Me. It's from the group's sixth studio album, and it reached number 103 on the Bubbling Under chart and 20 on the R&B chart. Here is a clip. Guitarist Danny Webster had taken over lead vocal duties, not successfully. (laughs) This is one that came on, what station is that? The The Groove Groove on on Sirius XM. And I mean, the last two parts are the worst. It's all this like, I want to say like caterwauling. Yeah, there's some really weird parts where he's screaming or caterwauling is a very good way to describe Uh it. Carrie, I will say upon second listen, I didn't find it as horrible as I imagined it was. I don't mind the song at all. The music, the groove, everything about it is fine, except for this His gentleman. Voice. Yeah. It's so nasal. I can't think of the lyrics right mm. now, but it's like the first verse is like every line he's going like, <laughs> he's emphasizing the last word and he's going like and I'm like I don't know how else to say. I hate it yeah yeah it made me angry it was yeah a lot to hear on like a Monday morning <laughs> yeah 
I'm glad that we talked about it because then we found out they actually really do have some very good songs. Yes. And I want to check out these other ones. I wonder if he gets better over time, if he continues as the lead vocalist or what happens. I don't know. Having a nasally voice, I feel like I can't say anything about it. Good for you, Danny (laughs) Webster. Yeah. But after that album, Steve Arrington would bail to start his own group, but the band continued on until finally breaking up in the mid-90s. It's crazy how much transition this band went through to lose their, like, two leaders, you know, and one go after on for the so other. Long. Yeah. What did Aura do, I wonder? Aura? 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 Yeah, I thought we had covered them on just a bit outside, but maybe it that's coming in the future. I looked right. them up in our old outlines and couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some dance and R&B hits, but they only had one song ever hit the Hot 100 in 1981. So we'll get hmm. to it. <laughs> yeah, eventually. In a few <laughs> in a years. couple years, yeah. Well, let's go back towards the beginning of the alphabet, and we are going to talk about Giorgio, a native of Minneapolis. Giorgio Alantini was just a teen when he gave some demos to Prince in the hopes of getting signed to Paisley Park. That didn't work out, so he recorded and self-released his own single, Sex Appeal. The 12-inch sold 9,000 copies and attracted the attention of Motown, who signed him to a deal and rushed to record his debut album in early 1987. Motown execs were quoted at the time as saying, If everything goes like we plan it, soon it's going to be superstar time. Listeners, things did not go as planned. (laughs) Giorgio did end up having seven entries on the R&B chart. Three of those hit the Hot 100. Tina Cherry was its biggest hit. However, it only reached 96 on the Hot 100, but number five on the R&B chart, and it topped the dance chart for one week in August of 87. Giorgio was done with his music career after three albums, but later wrote, directed, and composed music for a movie called Tapped Out in 2003, which starred Coolio. There's one I'm going to look for on Tubi. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sure it's there. Yeah. Um, Giorgio, uh, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> you didn't like it? I mean, it was fine. I wrote fine. <laughs> it sounds like a Prince ripoff. I mean, you know, yeah. it definitely became a, you know, a Minneapolis sound. It's not like Prince can lay claim to every song that ever sounds like him. But this one is not doing anything better or different. It sounds like it was written to try to impress Prince and didn't work out. It didn't work. To me, it sounded like it could be in a like an 80s, late 80s teen comedy, like playing at a school dance. That's the vibe it gave me. I didn't try to listen to the lyrics too hard, but I'm not really sure if he's impressed with Tina Cherry or if he's trying to drag her down. But he says at one point that she plays a cherry game, and I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, God. The less I know, the better. You know, exactly. Right? I didn't want to Google it. Like, I don't even care. So, well, up next, we've got Johnny Gill. 
And we all probably know Johnny Gill from his work with New Edition and his 90s solo success, but I was surprised to learn he was charting on the R&B chart as early as 1983. I just sincerely did not know that he had a career before he joined New Edition. He recorded his first demo when he was just 16 at the urging of his childhood friend, Stacy Lattisaw, <laughs> and he was signed to Cotillion Records and released his first album in 1983. It was produced by Freddie Perrin, who had been part of Motown's staple of songwriters called The Corporation. They wrote many hits for the Jackson 5. Perrin also co-wrote classics like Boogie Fever and I Will Survive. The first single from Gill's album, Super Love, peaked at 29 on the R&B chart. was the self-titled track, Super Love. Next, Johnny recorded a duets album with Ladisaw, which was produced by Narada Michael Walden. The title track to that album, Perfect Combination, reached number 10 on the R&B chart and hit the Hot 100, peaking at 75. So sweet, just knowing that we are a special pair. Gil released one more solo album before he was recruited to join New Edition, and the rest is history. So super love, Joe, Johnny Gill's debut single. What do you think? What's the opposite of super love? No, it was, you, you like know, it. it was just like you. I was surprised to see that album cover. I'm like, what yeah. year is this? I thought he just came on the scene with New Edition. So I love this part of his story because he, you know, he got some solo fame again after New Edition. Yes. It sounds like he didn't do so good on the charts back then. He wasn't a breakout star in the early mm. 80s. Yeah. But he definitely had some success. You know, the thing that's so crazy to me is that he really was only 16 years old, but he sounds like a man. Mm -hmm. This super love song, my biggest problem with it is he does have such a deep, resonant adult voice, and the song is a kiddie song. You know, super love is sounds like something a fifth grader would write, mm -hmm. right? Or describe yeah. their crush, like, I have a super love. Uh -huh. I mean, he was a kid, so I'm not saying they should have been marketing him as an adult, but he also didn't need to be singing these songs that were for children. Same with Perfect Combination. I'm like, this yeah. sounds junior high. Yeah, totally. And it's difficult because I don't think their voices match very well. Again, he sounds like a man and Stacey Ladisaw sounds like a child. Her voice did not mature. No. Well, and she was a couple well, years not younger than him. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So that was not a perfect combination. Oh. I don't mind the song that much. Yeah. But again, it is very childish. It's like talking about you plus me equals the perfect combination. That kind of sounds like something I would write on my um, notebook. Yeah, <laughs> on my notebook in fifth grade. 
Maybe the listeners are asking, who the heck is Stacy Lattisaw? Well, you must not listen to the earlier episodes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's someone Carrie and I have talked about many, many, many times in her life. Yeah, I don't even remember how she became like an in-joke to us. I remember. Oh. But we're going to get into the real history and okay. not the Joe and Carrie history. <laughs> All right. So Stacy Lattisaw got her start when she was even younger than Gil. She was discovered singing for a crowd of 30,000 in D.C. when she was just 11 and was signed to Cotillion Records shortly after. She recorded her first album when she was just 12, produced by Van McCoy, the artist known for the 1975 number one pop and R&B hit, The Hustle. Only one single was released, which peaked at number 91 on the R&B chart. Her next album would be The Breakthrough, produced by Narada Michael Walden and recorded when Stacy was just 13, the single Dynamite went to number 8 on the R&B chart, and it topped the dance chart. Remember the magazine Dynamite? Oh, I actually do. Yes. It was like an 80s, 70s, 80s teen magazine. I wonder if she did the song to get in it. Sure. I'm sure that was the whole plan. The song was a ploy <laughs> to get her on the cover. Right off the bat, I'm like, this is the best Stacey Lattisaw song I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it's much better than her ballads. You know, she's got some torch songs that are just not for me. But this must have been an extended mix or something. It It went on too long. Yes, it was six minutes, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted more substance, I guess, but it's fun. So another single from the album, Let Me Be Your Angel, also reached number eight on the R&B chart and went all the way to number 21 on the Hot 100. That's the song that brought her into our lives, Carrie. Yeah, I mean, I know we heard her on the countdown, and I think she kind of became a little joke to us. I can't say enough. Like, she sounds like a <laughs> child. Right. And I think there was a block of countdowns that we kept hearing, and like it was oh, like yeah. we could not get away from it. I don't want to say it's one of the worst songs, because that makes it sound just horrible, but it's just a song that I heard so many times, like you're saying, over a period of time, that it became just absolute nails on a chalkboard to me. I, I can't <laughs> yeah. even hear it now without... Cringing. Yeah. Lattisaw would have 19 more R&B hits. She signed to Motown in 1986... Her last album was released in 1989 and contains another duet with Gil called Where Do We Go From Here, which topped the R&B chart in early 1990. Okay, she's grown now. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm like mad she stopped making secular music after this because this is the song. Like, mm -hmm. this song is it. They sound yeah. amazing together. This backing choir that they've got sounds amazing. This song is great. I love it. Didn't she and Johnny Gill, were they together or they got married? Oh, I don't think so. No. You don't think so? Let me check for sure. But I mean, I don't know if they ever had a relationship. I don't think they ever got married. I thought we talked about her being portrayed in that TV New Edition movie. Oh, I never watched that. He doesn't have a personal life section on his Wikipedia. 
They dated in the 80s. Oh, well, I mean, that makes sense, of course. However, the made-for-TV movie's depiction of the circumstances of their breakup has her family up in arms, as Gil suggests that the... Oh, I don't want to say this. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Well, now I don't know if I can say what I wrote in my notes. What did you write in your notes? I said she found love on a two-way street <laughs> and lost it on a lonely highway. <laughs> Jesus. God. Let's just be transparent. I mean, and who knows where this comes from? I mean, this is just a link. I have no idea. You know, it says that the made-for-TV movie suggests, or Gil suggests, that their breakup was because of his dark complexion. I don't know. That's sad. Sounds like some sad circumstances. You know, they were like friends, you know, when they were children, I believe. And maybe that blossomed into a romance. I guess Jerry Lattisaw is Stacey Lattisaw's daughter. Okay. And says, my mom don't care about what color Johnny Gill is. If it wasn't for her, he wouldn't be in New Edition, period. She got him his first record deal. By the way, Stacy's husband is brown-skinned, too. Wow, this is weird. Okay. Yeah. Lots of weird gossip. Regardless of the personal whatever, I'm just glad we got where do we go from here <laughs> out of the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a good one. And for whatever part she had in bringing Johnny Gill to the Mm -hmm. music world, amazing, wonderful. History, yep. Yep. So these days, though, Stacey is a minister and records gospel music. Yeah, her personal website is is a bit much. Mm. (laughs) But you know what, Stacey, let us off. She seems very happy. Yep, you do you, my friend. You do you. We're moving on to Herbie Cancock. Everyone knows Rocket by Herbie Hancock, but what is the rest of the story on this dude? Let's find out. Born in Chicago, Herbie was a child prodigy that started playing piano at age seven and was able to play most music by ear. He recorded his first album in 1962 and then joined jazz legend Miles Davis in a group known now as Davis's second great quintet. You know what, Joe? At some point in my life, I want to be a part of a group known as the Great Great Quintet Quintet. (laughs) or Duo, Great Duo, Great Trio, whatever. Whatever configuration. We'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) Okay, good. He was reluctant to start playing electric keyboards when those became fashionable, but eventually came around. He left Davis's group in the late 60s and recorded music under his own name for the rest of his career. He hit the R&B chart for the first time in 1974 with the instrumental track Chameleon. It also went to number 42 on the Hot 100. In 1981, he released his 32nd album. 32nd. (laughs) I know. Magic Windows. The song Magic Number, featuring Sylvester on vocals, was released as a single. Reach number 59 on the R&B chart and also features Ray Parker Jr. on guitar. That was Sylvester on vocals? Yes! Oh, I love it so much more now. Oh, I really? loved that song, yeah. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. I liked it too. 
I had never seen this side of Sylvester before, mm-hmm. really. You know, I've only heard his disco songs and stuff. So I was impressed that he can sell the slower ballad vibe. I'm not going to put it on a playlist, but I don't mind it at all. Well, I am, and I did. Oh, okay. Good. I'm glad. After Herbie's big success with Rocket in 1983, which reached number six on the R&B chart, but incredibly only hit number 71 on the Hot 100, that's insane, uh, he scored many movies of the 80s. He won an Oscar for Best Score for the movie Round Midnight, And in 2007, he won the Grammy for Album of the Year for River, colon, The Joni Letters, his tribute to Joni Mitchell, which had guest vocals from Tina Turner, Nora Jones, and Joni herself. I'd never heard of this album before. I remember the disappointment. Oh, you do? (laughs) Yeah, you're a big Grammy watcher. Yeah. The Grammys are this weekend, by the way, Carrie. What are you going to do to celebrate? Um, not watch them and let oh. <laughs> let everyone <laughs> celebrate without my disdain. Everyone has their own way to celebrate. <laughs> but I'd never heard of that album. I'm going to check it out. I'm excited to hear what he did with those songs and to hear some of those guest vocalists. Maybe I should do a tribute record to Ricky Lee Jones. I think you should, but you're not much of a musician, Joe. <laughs> Hey. I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't know you to play any instruments or sing. I just sang. <laughs> that was okay. I support you, Joe, in whatever you want to do. Thank you. You certainly have the passion for Ricky LeJones. Someone's not going to be a <laughs> featured vocalist if she keeps this up. I could never do justice to Ricky's music. Mm-hmm. Let's close it out with a woman who had seven R&B solo hits in the 80s, but has a long and storied career, and that woman is Nona Hendrix. She started a group with friends Sarah Dash and Patti LaBelle in the early 60s called the Bluebells. They eventually morphed into Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells, and then just LaBelle. Competing for attention with many other Black girl groups of the day, LaBelle stood out because they unabashedly sung about sex and politics. Though they had several minor hits throughout the 60s and 70s, the group finally broke through in a big way on the charts in 1974, hitting number one on the Hot 100 and the R&B chart with Lady Marmalade. We all know that song, so no clip, right? Correct. (laughs) Okay. Just two years later, the group broke up so all three could pursue solo careers. Hendrix's first album was a flop, and she was dropped by her record label. She sang backup and toured with Talking Heads before recording her second solo album in 1983. The first single, Keep It Confidential, would reach number 22 on the R&B chart and peak at number 91 on the Hot 100. LaBelle actually reunited in 1995 to record a new song for the Tu Wong Fu soundtrack, which topped the dance chart. Hendrix has been with her partner, Vicki Wickham, since 1970. 
Wickham was the manager for LaBelle that became Hendrix's manager after the group broke up. Keep it confidential. I loved it. <laughs> I know. You love it? I love Yay! it. Yay! It's it. so good. I know. At first, I liked it, right? Mm-hmm. And then it kind of picked up, and then I was like, I love it. <laughs> I know this is one that we play on Charlie's, and I've heard a couple times, but I've never really sat down and listened to it. This makes sense because my husband goes, oh, I've heard this song before. And I'm like, I don't remember ever hearing it before. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a Charlie's hit. She's got some other fun ones, too, that you and I talk about. From the perfect soundtrack. You actually sent me the 45 that you found of Sweat going through the motions. Through the motions, yeah. (laughs) Which is a very fun song. It's so fun. Every Mm -hmm. section is fun. I love when she talks. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't believe she wasn't a bigger solo star. It's upsetting to me. Yeah, it is to me, too. Like, she should have been as big as Patti LaBelle, if not bigger. The voice, you know? She's got it. Yeah. I was delighted to learn that she sang the theme song to the 1985 comedy Moving Violations. Oh, my God. That's one of my favorites. (laughs) That's one we have to find on Tubi. That is one that played on HBO all the time, and I saw a million times over. I knew you were going to say that, but that was a rental at our house. Mm-hmm. I saw it so many times. You know what scene I remember? The When they're in the anti-gravity chamber? Yes! Yes! Oh! yes! And the clothes fly up! Yes! Oh, God! Oh, God. Oh, my God. I just looked it up. I didn't know that, Um, who's in it? Eugene, no, not Eugene Levy. Fred Willard. Oh, yes. Yeah. Is the main guy Bill Murray's brother? Brother? Yep. Mm -hmm. Dana Murray. Got it. So we need to make a list of the movies to watch. Remember what's still on the ballot that we never did? (laughs) Streets of Fire. Oh, yes. I just searched Just Watch for Moving Violations and it doesn't even come up as an option. It doesn't even recognize it. I bet it's on YouTube. Probably. I'll check eBay. Okay. That's it for our R&B Superstars segment. I love checking in with that book. I want that book. Bring that book when you come to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll haul it on the plane with me. Well, we have one more segment, Joe, and I was stuck trying to come up with a second segment for this week and thought, well, let me see if I can find a list of top 80 songs and see what number 153 is. Oh, because it's episode 153. I get it. I like this. (laughs) Well, according to Pitchfork, which did a uh, top 200 of the 80s, you can find that via Google. The 153rd best song, according to them, is Stepping Out by Joe Jackson. Yeah. A song that you and I both love. So let's talk about it in depth. It's from Joe's fifth studio album, Night and Day, which was a concept album about New York City. Jackson had moved there after his marriage failed and he fell in love with the city. All the tracks on the album seg together. I need to get this one on vinyl. I really want to hear that. Stepping Out is the last song on side one. Describes a journey through Manhattan in a taxi. Young but getting old before our time We'll leave the TV and the radio behind Don't you wonder what we'll find Stepping out tonight 
I do have this one on vinyl. I oh, need to listen do? to it. I'll do it tonight. <sighs> yeah, that'll be a good Saturday night record. We're going to make some soup. We got some bread bowls. I'm going to put on Joe Jackson's Night and Day. I'll report to you. Thank you very much. According to Pitchfork, it's perky, craftworkian bassline and gilded keyboards offer a wide-eyed view of the world, either the result of naivete or a hit of the purest coke. Okay, Pitchfork, calm down. <laughs> I know, exactly. Uh, Jackson is playing all the instruments on the track. The drums are a drum machine. It was Jackson's biggest hit in both the States and the UK. It hit number six across the pond, and here in the U.S., it went to number six on the Hot 100, seven on the Rock Chart, and four adult contemporary. These days, Jackson says he doesn't like New York City that much. Quote, it's as if the city and I had a hot love affair, and now we're just friends, but we still have to see each other to remain friends. Today I live in Berlin. The New York I knew in late 81 and 82 is gone. Well, okay. (laughs) Of course, (laughs) times change, people change, Mm -hmm. cities change. But yeah, I love this song so much. This was on my first top 40, and then it didn't make it onto my second. I don't know why, you know, just one of those things where there's so many songs. Mm -hmm. But this is definitely one that I just come back to again and again and again. Love the pianos and, you know, that line that we quoted up at the top. We're just young, getting old before our time. time. (laughs) It hits deeper (laughs) lately. At this age. Yeah. You know, now that I think about it, sometimes when I hear it, I do hear that kind of like swirling intro where like something else was happening before. And it makes sense now that the whole album sags like that. I'm excited to hear that. You know, I think I've listened to this album on Apple Music, you know, once or twice, but I didn't notice anything like that. So it's hard to say whether they can capture it or not. You will give us the firsthand uh, information. I sure will. And Carrie, this was on my perfect hour of 80s music. That is true. It was. I was excited to hear it. It was perfect. It was perfectly placed in the perfect hour. Thank you. That's it for this week, then. Well, I'm confused about what this is on next week's schedule. Well, remember, we discovered, I don't know, a couple months ago now, the show Hit Me Baby One More Time where 80 stars come back and... And sing their biggest yeah, hit. compete. And a cover. Yeah, and we said we were going to um, cover it in the future, so we are going to finally do that. But I thought it was going to be hard to find the shows. Well, I found them. We discussed this. On Tubi? This. No, on YouTube. Yeah. The whole first episode from the UK version is on YouTube, and then there's a bunch of clips. I think the first couple episodes have got the big hitters that we want to talk about. Belinda. Yeah, Belinda's in there. Okay, cool. So we're going to talk about the show, and we're going to talk about some of the artists we don't know that well, and we're going to play Mm -hmm. clips of the 80s artists performing the newer songs, which I'm very interested to hear. Get into it. I am. Anything else? I got nothing. All right. Then you better take us out, Joe. Well, I brought us in. I brought us in, and I can take us out. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Our hope is that everyone is doing well and staying safe and sane. Please continue to be kind to others and to yourselves. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.